And you're back with Encounter with God here on Faith FM. The quiz has already been snapped up by the ever-famous Zainab. Yes, she won two copies of Nature Superfoods, mind you. One for her, one for a friend. Good such, job. She's such a Bible student. If we if, if we let her, Zainab, I think, would, would snap up the quiz on a Every daily basis. Every single day, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a gun. But she should know the rules. If you win a cookbook, you have to cook a meal for Lala and I. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there she's won two cookbooks this morning. That's a lot of meals right two there. Two meals, two meals right there. <laughs> coming, I think, where is it? South Australia or somewhere? Yeah, around? yeah. We, we, are, we are on our way. It should, we shouldn't make that. It, you have to cook us a meal and pay our way to get to your house. <laughs> Just in case you like live in Perth. <laughs> but yeah, congrats, Zane. I'm going to get those books what, out what do we do? Soon. What do we do with um? What do we do with people who call in um, for the prize from Overseas, dude. Do we same, do, do we do same pri- rules do, apply? Do, do we do prizes over, overseas? I think we do, right? <laughs> Can someone so- from Antarctica call us up? Because I'd love to go there. <laughs> someone call up from that base camp <laughs> and win the prize. Why do you? Why do you want to go to Antarctica? Just because uh, it's random. No, because it's melting, and I really want to see it. Like it's just just the coolness of. It. I love watching those BBC documentaries where like, they go in the ice places. You know, oh. they reckon that if Antarctica melts, it won't be a continent anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, it'll be an archipelago. Oh, see, I want to get there before it changes. I want to see a lot of places before they change. I was told yesterday that Uralu, as of October this year, will be shut down. And I kind of want to get there before that happens so I can climb it. Yeah. Where the course. I think you have some strong opinions because looking at your face. I plan to be there. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, we're my, pl- my plans are already in place on that one. We are sidetracked. But I do just have to say that I was having breakfast yesterday morning mm-hmm. uh, with a couple from Africa. Oh, really? And they're three very small children that would have just melted you, Mon. Aww. And yes. we're chatting their way there for like, you know, 20 minutes, half hour or so. And eventually we're like, well, so whereabouts are you guys from? They're like, oh, we're from Ethiopia. I'm like, Ethiopia, I'm going yes. there. Tell me all about it. <laughs> so amazing. I love it when you meet people from a country you're about to travel to. Yeah, yes, it was it was really cool. It was awesome. Yeah, for those Lovely of you who don't too. know, 2019 is a big, exciting effort Faith event. In fact, we are closing in fast. We haven't mentioned this enough in recent, recent times. So Lyle and I will be heading to Africa on our mission trip. Uh, we've been fundraising for that and we've been doing really well. Praise the Lord for our listeners um, who've been sponsoring and, and donating uh, for the mission trip as well. So there'll be a month in Kenya with some medical missionary work with kenyahealth.org. You can check that out and donate there if you like as well. Um, we're doing pop-up medical clinics around uh, Kenya. Uh, then we'll be preaching campaigns in Ethiopia. So very exciting stuff in March. So yeah, two months over there. It's pretty cool. good. Fantastic. And we're taking you with us, by the way, listeners. We're yes, taking we, you we with us. we are indeed. This is, the, this is the world in which we live, you know, the world of technology where yeah. live radio can take place from anywhere on yeah. the planet. So we'll be broadcasting from Africa very soon. It's coming up. I personally fly out in like two weeks, just over two weeks. So yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff. So we're looking forward to our first yeah. report from Mon. Yes, indeed. Okay, Revelation chapter 2 is where we are up to and verse it 6, must, I do believe. It must gut you so much, Lyle, that you missed <laughs> doing the I Revelation Bible study. <laughs> I know how much you love Revelation. Okay, no. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 6 goes like this, if I can find it. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Okay, so, oh, ooh, strong words from mm, God. Yeah, hate and, 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 Yeah, very, and so, so why is it that you think that God hates the Nicolaitans? I mean, is, um, it, is, it, is it right to hate anyone? I've always sort of stood more like hate the sin, love the sinner. 
So maybe they... Okay, I've tried to trick you right there. No, but you didn't catch me out. Like I went to the this gym morning. this morning. Like, <laughs> I just want to repeat that one more time. I went to the gym this morning. And I got beat around the head with a baseball bat, figuratively speaking. <laughs> AKA drove 100 million miles and then went to bed late and came here early. So yeah, it's going to be a while before you pull a tricky one on me, Lyle. Ah, there you go. Okay, so um, just considering this... Yeah, well, that's what's, actually, it, what's, that's it, what's it with you going to the gym at that hour of the morning anyway? Such okay. a morning person you so, are. Yeah, so I figured, right, if I want to implement a new habit like going to the gym, it's not going to work if I do it in the middle of the day because I have like different shift works now that I do. So if I want to implement that, I need to do it when nothing else could possibly happen and not just isn't yep. happening. So yeah, before. And research that I've looked at indicates that there is a scale of the effectiveness of exercise mm. that is at, at the highest at the beginning of the day and the lowest at the end of the day. And that gym first thing in the morning is 90% more effective than if you do it after dinner. Oh, really? Yeah. That's great. So, it's a a scale that basically starts at the top at the beginning of the day and works its way down from there. Well, can you explain to me why then for the last two weeks I haven't eaten any sugar and I've gone to the gym basically every single day and I haven't lost a single gram? It's a, you, you've made a start. You, you'd be okay. surprised. Your body's starting to change. I think it's because I've gotten older because usually I can track weight loss a, from day one. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a process. Your body has to readjust itself and once your body has readjusted itself, then it will start shedding weight. Okay, good. Thank you, Lyle. Thanks for the uh, encouragement. Yeah. Back to our topic. I just want to ask you a question, right? But you might need to shed more than just sugar. Okay, what else should I shed? Don't say lettuce because I love lettuce. No, you can keep lettuce. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You're not going to put weight on... Well, very few people put on weight eating lettuce. <laughs> what else am I supposed to be shedding? Ah, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know what you eat, so... Okay, back to our topic. Yes. I have a burning question here. Mm-hmm. So you just said, is it wrong to hate people who... Like sinners, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we have this concept that God doesn't hate anyone. But does God hate Satan? No, I don't believe so. I believe that God loves Satan, but okay. he hates what Satan does. Okay. You know, and the danger comes in because you can see some people that is like, yeah, you know, I'd really think of somebody, name for me somebody that you think would be well worth hating. Hitler. Okay, Hitler. Yep, a German naming a German. There we go. Well, well done. Um, <laughs> I've got to keep it in the family, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and yet, if you look at Hitler compared to, say, Nebuchadnezzar, which one was worse? Which one killed more Jews? Yeah, that's true. Or Manasseh. Or Manasseh, mm. you know, who killed his own people. Yeah. And yet Nebuchadnezzar gave his heart to God and was converted and we'll meet him in heaven one day. Okay. So, you know. Does at any point, like when people die, right, and they're unconverted, mm-hmm. let's just say, we don't know how he, like what was in Hitler's heart before he died, but let's just say he they're died. Fair guess, but we don't know. Yeah. Let's just say he died a lost man. Mm-hmm. At that point. Does God now hate them because they're lost anyway and there's no coming back for him? No, I think that God is tremendously sad. It's a little bit like you if you have a child and your child becomes, you know, rebellious and lives a, you know, a, a life of, uh, of vindictiveness against you as a parent, you can't stop loving that child. And when that child dies, you're always going to feel sad. You're going to mourn the death of that child. It's, it's um, you know, and we're all God's children. That makes sense. And I think that God will mourn the death of, you know, people like Adolf Hitler for eternity, which is something we will never, ever comprehend and never, ever have to deal with. So, basically, God never stops loving us, even if never we stops. Never. are sinners and die lost. Mm-hmm. That's, that's profound. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a you know, the, the cost of allowing sin to continue here on this world for 6,000 years is an infinite cost that we can't even begin to imagine because you're dealing with a God who has a perfect memory. 
We have imperfect memories, and our imperfect memory is a blessing in a world of sin because it protects us from pain and enables us to move past pain, and it dulls pain over the years. Whereas for God, who has a perfect memory, how is that pain ever dulled? And yet he allowed sin to continue for a period. He allowed pain to continue so that the universe could see the result of it and they would choose him and they would serve him from love rather than from fear and that sin would never, ever, ever, ever come back again. You know, it is it is such an incredibly high cost. You know, we we think of the cost of our salvation and we often put it, you know, in the in the concept of the cross. Mm. And we think, you know, that was painful for Jesus, but the physical agony of the cross was minuscule. Absolutely infinitesimally whatever that word it's is. A blip. Minuscule compared to the large pain that God suffers as a result of sin, which really is the loss of every single individual who is lost eternally. That's so sad. That never dulls. A pain that never dulls, that is always there. And yet God was willing to do it so that sin could be destroyed. That's, you know, yeah. He carries so much, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. Yeah. No human being could ever, you know, carry anything like that. That would be entirely impossible. Yeah, so it's a heavy thought. But coming back to the Nicolaitans, we need to ask the question, you know, who were the Nicolaitans? Who was Nicholas that came up with this heresy that God was so vehemently against? Mm. What were they teaching? It's a good question. Mm. It does say that they hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans. Okay, so these are, these are evil deeds. So in summary, basically what the Nicolaitans taught uh, when it all boils down was that the law of God had been done away with. The Ten Commandments done away with, it was nailed to the cross. Oh. And we actually see that in in fact uh this last week there was a prominent evangelical um TV evangelist in the United States who stood up and preached that in his uh pulpit uh preached it to the world through TV that the 10 commandments were completely done away with no longer relevant for Christianity. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So with the Nicolaitans, you know, one of the things that we find here, and this is where the Bible is so clear, you know, do we then make void the law of God through faith? It says in, you know, Romans chapter 3, God forbid we establish the law. You know, it's not like you can write it down any clearer than that passage right there. You know, and and of course the Bible goes on, Romans chapter 7 and verse 12, wherefore the law is holy and just and good. Romans chapter 13, the love is fulfilling of the law because the, you know, the commandments are all about love to God and love to each other. Uh, you know, first John, anyone who says he does not keep the law, who says he serves God and does not keep the law is a liar and the truth is not found in him. There are very, very strong statements in the Bible in relationship to the law of God. And particularly when you come down to the very end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible ever to be written, which, which of course is the one we're studying right now, which is the book of Revelation. And you read what it says here in Revelation. We'll flick over a couple of pages. Let's go to chapter 12 and verse 17, where the Bible says, The dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant or those remaining of the church. This is at the end of time. Which keep the commandments of God. So that's that's saying, like, if it says here that um, 
the, God hated the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were preaching that the, the Ten Commandments are done away with and, the, and that they went to war against each other, right? Does that mean God now hates the evil deeds that these people are doing today? Absolutely. Like even down here in 2019. Absolutely. When, when, uh, and I've got to look up the name of that uh, particular TV evangelist, but it was spread all over social media. You know, this guy standing up and saying the law has been done away with, it's nailed to the cross, which is no longer relevant. You know, we need to get rid of the Ten Commandments, etc., etc. God hates that kind of teaching. Okay. Gotcha. Doesn't, doesn't matter how yeah. eloquently it is presented or how much credibility it sounds like it has, God hates that kind of teaching. This is, this is, he hates things that are against the Bible. I mean, Revelation, we'll continue on here. Revelation 14 and verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. And this is talking about those who gain the victory over the mark of the beast. This is right at the end of time. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You know, of course, those two things go together. You can't keep the commandments of God without the faith of Jesus. That would be impossible. And if you go right to the very end of the Bible, as far into the Bible as you can possibly go, Revelation 22 and verse 14, Blessed are those that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. The Bible is crystal clear, absolutely crystal clear, that the commandments have not been done away with and that God calls us to keep those commandments because those commandments are a definition of righteousness. He hates it when you don't, and in fact he blesses you when you do. Exactly. Yeah. He hates it and he blesses you. I like the way you put that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he never, he, he never, uh, he never hates anyone. He loves everybody. Mm-hmm. But when we uh, surrender ourselves to God, it enables Him to bless us and to pour blessings out upon us. And what I find fascinating is that you know we're in the prophecy of the seven churches here. When you look at the prophecy of the seven churches, you find there are three ways of reading this prophecy. The first is that you can read it as a literal letter to a literal church that was literally existing at that time. And so this is the letter to the church in Ephesus that we are reading in this passage. And when you read the letter to the church in Ephesus, what you find is that right there in John's day, while the apostle is still alive, people are teaching that the law of God has been done away with. You know, it's not like this took, you know, hundreds of years for this heresy to develop over time, as some other heresies did. You know, like eternal hellfire and stuff like that didn't come until like 300 years later. It's a sign that it still exists. That's the bit that boggles my mind. They had it so wrong then. The Bible was so clear about it being wrong. Why is it still here? Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you read some of these passages in the Bible, and it's almost like as if Paul was sitting down because, of course, he was the great, you know, uh, New Testament theologian, and, and, and asking himself, okay, how can I write this down in the plainest possible way possible? You know, looking into the future in prophetic vision because he was a prophet, seeing what would come on the earth, seeing that people would get messed up over this, and going, you know what? I need to make this so clear that no one can ever possibly get it wrong. Mm. You know, and of course, John writing the book of Revelation and having this insight into what was being taught in his day. And this is why you have these passages, you know, both in the book of Revelation, but also in the, le- in the, in the letters of John. If you go back to 1 John, let's, let's just read it over here in 1 John. I quoted it a minute ago, but let's, um, let's read what it actually says. Uh, now, 1 John is too close to Revelation. And my, Beat you. But, <laughs> Revelation, sorry, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 4. Let me read you this one. It says, He that says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
Straight to the point. Straight. And this Doesn't is mess I, around. It's something I love about John. Mm. In fact, it's something that I'm, I much prefer over John than Paul. Paul was such a lawyer Flowery, yeah. and such a theologian and he just does my head in all the time. Whereas John Cut to the chase. was a fisherman. <laughs> yep. You know, I can relate to a guy who knows how, how to go out and catch fish and put food on his table mm-hmm. and eat that food. Yeah, I have done a lot of fishing myself. It is a very pleasurable exercise, and you know this was John. He he's like uh, simple, straightforward. You know, Paul has to use all of this long. I mean, Paul writes it very, very clear. Don't get me wrong, but uh, he's just like, yeah, you know what? Um, if somebody says that I know they, I know Jesus, and they don't keep the commandments. They're a liar. Yeah. We don't need to say it anything is what else. It is. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just yep. call a spade a spade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, James. James is a lot like that as well. If you go over James, um, and uh, you know, there's been evangelicals who have tried to get rid of the book of James out of the Bible. Like, oh no, we shouldn't have this book in the Bible. Let's really? get rid of this. Book. Oh yeah, absolutely. I had no idea. Martin Luther hated this book with a passion. Martin Luther. Martin Luther. I know. Yes. Bit of a hero of mine, but he did uh, he did some terrible things on occasions. Yeah, hero, but not perfect. Yeah, look look at this one right here. I mean, there's a whole passage on it. In fact, there's there's chapters on it here in the book of James. Uh, where are we? Uh, verse eight, chapter two, verse eight. That is. You want me to read that? Why not? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so there's the royal law. Mm-hmm. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? What does that encompass? Does love your neighbor as yourself do away with the Ten Commandments? Please keep reading verse uh, 9, 10, and 11. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. Okay, so which law is he talking about when he says, you know, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself? All of them. Yeah, the Ten Commandments, yeah, right? Yeah. Because he goes on to put it in context, and he's like, in context, when we talk about, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, we're talking about the Ten Commandments here, because mm-hmm. that's what the Ten Commandments is all about. Mm-hmm. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. These are passages that we are very familiar with in the Bible, and it doesn't matter how much, you know, somebody may feel offended by what the Bible says right here. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. And uh, and then he goes on, read verse 12, because verse 12, because this is the royal law. Notice the royal law. The royal law, according to James, is the Ten Commandments. He defines it for you. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no... Mi- oh, sorry, that was verse 12. Yeah. Yeah. Notice here that it's called the law that sets you free. Mm. How does the law set you free, Mon? Gee, was I don't know. You'd think that the law would sort of... Let me give you a really simple mm-hmm. illustration. Go on. Let's say that here in New South Wales, tomorrow, the New South Wales government abolished all road laws. Wow, yeah. So there's no street lights anymore, there's mm-hmm. no roundabout rules, there's no speeding rules, etc. Man, my first thought was I'd be free to speed, but now I'm thinking I might stay home. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You would lose your freedom. Uh-huh. You see, the purpose of good laws is to create freedom. Mm-hmm. 
Now, not all laws that humans make are good laws, and not all of them create freedom by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, you need but laws that's to the protect purpose. freedom. That's the purpose of law. The purpose of law is to create freedom. If you do away with the law that says it's you're going to go to uh, jail for the rest of your life if you murder somebody, you lose your freedom because you are now in danger of being murdered. Mm-hmm. If you do away with road rules, you are you lose your freedom because you are now too scared to drive on the road. You know this is the per- law, good law, and of course God laws, God's laws are perfect laws. Mm. They give freedom. This is what it's all about—a law of liberty. So good laws give liberty and freedom, and of course, you know Satan's original attack in heaven was against the law of God. That's where Satan started. You can read it right there in in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 14, or Ezekiel chapter 28. And uh, yeah, back right after this, Randy Travis, Jerusalem's Cry. The storm on the rise Look around You can't deny This is the hour Of heaven's time Armies gather in the east For the war That's soon to come Death will march With the mark And walk with the sun Soon we'll see his wrath come down And the Lord descending from the sky When you hear the trumpet sound God has answered Jerusalem's cry
That was Randy Travis with Jerusalem's Cry here on Faith FM. I love it when he goes really low. I think that's got to be the lowest low voice that's ever been recorded, isn't it? it? It's funny because men singing in high in that falsetto is supposed to be like this. There's a stigma it's supposed to be attractive to women, but I can't stand it because I'm like, why would I be impressed by something I can do? I can sing that high. I like it when they sing really low. And I like it. Like, I like Randy Travis is really good because it's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Love it. It is a remarkable range that that, that guy has, and yes. uh, praise God that great he uses talent. it for the glory of God. Amen. All right, so we were talking about the Nicolaitans who do away with the law of God, but we need to move on in our Bible study, and we need to talk about verse 7, the promise to the overcomer in verse 7. Verse 7. Um, oh, I'm in James. I'm like, what? What's happening in verse 7? Okay, so Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7 says this. Anyone with excuse me, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. As so once again, that's a reference there to that blessing that God gives us. Absolutely. Yeah. He hates it. He blesses us. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, with the promise to the overcomer, you've got a reference that is relevant to the church in that location at the time. We mentioned this earlier, and I'm going to bring it up again because I didn't finish the thought. Uh, There are three ways of understanding the prophecy of the seven churches. The first is that it's a literal letter to a literal church in a literal location at that time. The second way is that it this is symbolic of a time period down through history. And you'll find that across, you know, basically all uh, commentators on the book of Revelation. The third way, of course, is that there is a spiritual lesson here for each one of us. A lesson that God wants us to hear and to understand and to learn from. And so there's a promise here that, you know, every lesson here, every promise is for us as individuals. So which is it or is it all of them? It's all of the above. Okay, okay. And the promise here to the overcomer, of course, is that he will eat of the tree of life, which is in the middle of the paradise of God. And so this is a church in which God has come to this church and said, hey, you've done some really good things. You're a hardworking church. You're a church that's very strong on doctrine, but you have a a, a number of weaknesses. And I don't know about whether Lawson talked about this or not, but one of the weaknesses that comes out you know, right in the introduction is where uh, Jesus comes to this church and says, hey, I'm the one who holds the seven stars in my right hand. Mm. Did you guys get into the seven stars very much last week? Mm, no. Good, because I want to comment on the seven yeah. stars. Yeah. The seven stars, the Bible says, are the angels of the churches. The word angel in the Bible comes from the word angelos or messenger. In other words, the messenger of the churches. Each church has a messenger. Now, when you go to church and, th- and there is a messenger at the church, it's typically the guy who gets up the front and preaches the sermon, right? Yes. And stars are in the Bible are symbolic of leadership. So, you know, when you've got a star that arises out of David, that is leadership. That's Jesus Christ. He's the, he is the ruler of the world. And you can look at many other places in the Bible where stars are symbolic of leadership. Uh, Revelation chapter 9 has some great passages on stars being symbolic of leadership. And so here the Bible is talking about the leaders of the churches. And Ephesus had a major weakness. Okay. The leadership of the church in the in the time of you know in the symbolic time of Ephesus, which is from the time of Christ, you know, through the first say hundred years of Christianity, the leadership of the church was the apostles. Jesus and the apostles. Okay, yeah. All right, now think about this for a minute. 
We have a culture today. And it's called the celebrity culture. Oh, we so do. And Christians are not immune from it. Not in the least. I have seen preachers come to this country from overseas and I have seen people suddenly become starstruck. Yeah, I have I have a term for it actually when it when it comes to um like single pastors, like single preachers, and they get that little following of uh single ladies. I call that pastor lust. <laughs> my friends and I coined that term back in college. Have you ever been guilty, Mon? What? Ah, that you hesitated. <laughs> she hesitated. Let's uh let's keep on with the Bible study, shall we? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with uh d- being d- desirous of marrying a pastor. My wife did that and she made a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure because she's in there <laughs> at our desk being a producer having a bit of a fit right now. So <laughs> there might be some words this that is come why, This is why I have the microphone and she doesn't. <laughs> lock that door, please, Mon. Quick, lock that door. Lock the door. <laughs> no way. Yeah, Pastor Lass is real. We actually coined that term um, when we observed that, when we were at university, we observed how there is that celebrity culture. And like you just said, like Christian, within Christendom, there's like a whole subculture of Christian celebrityhood. Okay, so let's say um, a major Christian celebrity uh, walked in here to the studio and we're going to do an interview with them. Would that um, would that give you maybe a little bit of a extra nerves or a shot of adrenaline um, that you might not normally have? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to think that I'd keep it cool, calm and collected, but I did mean meet Ben Carson one time and I was responsible for taking him um, from one place to another when he was on his Australian tour and I did a substantial amount of babbling and I went the wrong way. And <laughs> <laughs> you have a bit of a habit of doing this yeah. on occasions, Mon. I turned into a, I turned into a Monron. That's when Mon becomes a moron. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I do, yeah. Yeah, and it's a natural human thing. But something that we need to be aware of and not to let us, you know, um, let it, you know. Um, replace our God. Replace our God. Yeah. And, and so, you know, with that Ben Carson instance, you know, here you've got a presidential candidate from the United States who is riding in your car with you. That's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, people would see like, oh, wow, that's pretty special. But let's say that um, you had the Apostle Peter riding in your car with you or came in here to do an interview with you. I'd be extremely nervous. You would, wouldn't you? Yeah. Okay, so this is... Now you see the problem that the church in the time period of Ephesus had. Mm-hmm. Because these guys who had lived and walked and talked with Jesus would literally turn up at their church on occasions. And their danger was this, taking their eyes off Jesus Christ and placing their eyes on someone like the Apostle Peter. And you actually see this working out in people's spiritual walks. I have a friend who he hero-worshipped one particular um, Adventist pastor who shall remain nameless, and that pastor had a very serious fall from grace and had to leave the ministry. And when he left, uh, my friend contacted me, and he was like, well, what's the point, and left the church. And I was like, you shouldn't have been looking at him. That's right. He's another human being. Absolutely. He's as imperfect as you and I. He can't get you to heaven. He can't get you to heaven. You should have been looking there at There is Jesus. a reason why I used Peter as an example right here. Mm. Because Peter messed up Big epically yeah. and Paul had to straighten him back out again. That's it. And you can read that in uh, right there in the book of Galatians where Paul just withstood him to his face and said, No, Peter, you are absolutely categorically in the wrong. You are doing something that is total unadulterated bigotry. And Peter had to accept that and eat humble pie. Uh, and so, you know, you, you read these kinds of things and it's a warning to all of us that 
you cannot look to the individual. And when Jesus comes to the church in Ephesus and says, I hold the seven stars in my right hand, what he's saying is this, without me, they're nothing. They're absolutely nothing at all. They can't help you. If I'm not holding them in my hand, they're worthless. You know, look to the one who holds them, not to the one who is being held. Amen. Because that is where the solution is. And so when you, this is, this is where this uh, particular uh, letter begins. It begins with this. And, and what you'll find is that in Ephesus, guess what? What? It was in Ephesus that in year 431 they held a very special ceremony in which they transferred all of the names and titles of Diana of the Ephesians Ooh. to Mary. Ooh. It was in Ephesus that celebrity worship, otherwise known as saint worship, was created in the ancient world. And so they didn't really learn the lesson that they should have learnt so long ago. Anyway, this is uh, BJ Thomas. I believe for every drop of rain that falls a flower grows I believe that somewhere In the darkest night A candle glows I believe for everyone Who goes astray Someone will come To show Done. 
but there's a program called Forgive to Live designed to help us all improve our lives and discover the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. Ever 
Welcome back, guys. That was... was Malvinas. Yes. Didn't even recognise her voice, did you? <laughs> I was looking for it there on the screen, and it was in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. That no, was whatever. actually in the right place. I was just looking You should the wrong know place. her voice. We've interviewed her and her husband before on this show. Yeah, absolutely. They, they spent some time at our home the other... Uh, for Thanksgiving. It was really yeah. nice. Hmm. It was wonderful. All right, so where are we up to? It is time for our Q oh, of, the of the day. day. Question yes. of the day. Yes, it's an interesting question that's come through from one of our listeners. Um, actually, a really good question because, yeah, I wonder this myself. So whatever happened to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph? Because, mm-hmm. you know, the, I mean, the Bible lists his mother Mary as being a widow, but okay. when, the, right. when Jesus was let born, me, let, let he was ha- part of the picture. So let me help you out with this problem, Mon. Yes. This is something you have often wondered about. Okay? So let me help you out with it. When the Bible uses the word widow... I know what the term widow means. I know he's that dead. That means that he died. Yeah, but like... There's, there's the answer to your question. There's like a, there's a gap. Solved. There's a gap from like Jesus being a kid and Joseph and Mary riding around donkeys in Bethlehem. And then zoom, you go to like Jesus studying his ministry and his mum's a widow. Like, wait, wait, hang on. Hold the phone. What happened to Joseph? Okay, so there are a number of uh, indications. We do not know exactly. The Bible does not say. But here's, here's what we can deduce from Scripture. First of all, it is uh, Joseph and Mary who go to Bethlehem. Joseph is there when Jesus is born. Joseph is a carpenter. Joseph is there when they go into exile as uh, down into Egypt. Joseph is there when they come back to Nazareth because this is the home of Joseph and where they reopen you know, the carpentry business there in Nazareth. And Jesus is obviously trained, apprenticed as a carpenter by Joseph. And so we, we, we know that Joseph is, up there, is there up until a period. However, when the ministry of Jesus begins, there is no word, no record of Joseph anywhere in the story whatsoever at all. So, for instance, the very first miracle that Jesus does as a part of his ministry is the, you know, the marriage feast in Cana, where he turns water into wine. And it is Jesus' mother that instigates that, not Jesus' father. There is no record, no mention of Joseph in any way, shape, or form, you know, in the entire ministry of Jesus. And so the indication is very, very strong that Joseph had passed away by this particular point. He had already died, um, particularly when you come to the end of Jesus' life, and he entrusts his mother Mary into the keeping of the apostle John. Um, this would indicate, once again, very, very strongly that Joseph has passed away. One of the other clues that you get in relationship to this is when you read the story of Joseph and Mary, the Bible speaks about Joseph you know, as a man. It speaks about Mary as being a young woman. It actually makes an emphasis on her being a young woman. And with no emphasis on them being a young couple. So the Bible does not describe them as a young couple. It describes Joseph as a man. It describes Mary as being a young woman. And so this is possibly uh, one of those situations where there was quite a large age gap. You know, in today's society, it's sometimes looked down upon when there is a large age gap in a marriage relationship. Well, that should never be the case. There are many examples, both in the Bible and outside of the Bible, of very successful marriages that have a large age gap. This is not the issue in, in having a successful marriage. So the the indication here is that this is the case. Now, the other thing that's interesting is the brothers of Jesus. Now, the Bible speaks about the brothers of Jesus. You've got James and you've got Jude uh, in the Bible. Uh, The very strong indication is that both of these men were brothers of Jesus. According to tradition, 
And once again, this is tradition. We, we, we can't base this on scripture, but according to tradition, and tradition is not always wrong. You don't always just write it off automatically because, you know, things that are passed down through history. These were actually half-brothers to a previous relationship that Joseph had been in before he became married to Mary. And so that would have made them older brothers of Jesus. Now, that's a very strong, of course, in the Roman Catholic tradition who say that you know Mary was a virgin and remained a virgin her entire life. There is absolutely nothing in the Bible to indicate that, and that would actually be quite against what the Bible teaches in how a marriage you know, works and functions and so forth. Um, but once again, there's some good, strong traditions that indicate that these could well have been older brothers of Jesus. Thank you so much for answering that one, Lyle. It was a good answer. Uh, if you have a question, give us a call here. Our number, of course, is 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Ask us any question you like, and we will use it as question of the day and uh, and put your question out on the airwaves. And you can remain anonymous if you'd like, so don't worry about that either. How could it be this baby in my arms Sleeping now so peacefully the son of god the angel said how could it be lord i know he's not my own not of my flesh, not of my bone, still Father let this baby be the son of my love. Father, show me where I fit into this plan of yours How can a man be father to the Son of God Lord for all my life I've been a simple carpenter How can I raise a king How can I raise a king He looks so small his face and hands so fair And when he cries The sun just seems to disappear But when he laughs It shines again How could it be? Show me where I fit into this plan of yours How can a man be father to the Son of God? Lord, for all my life I've been a simple carpenter How can I raise a king?
sleeping now so peacefully the son of god the angel said how could it be Welcome back, everybody. You were listening to Michael Card there with Joseph Song. What an appropriate uh, song we had right there. Beautiful. Straight after. Beautiful song, yeah. but also uh, straight after a story about Joseph and yeah, what happened indeed. to Joseph. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it sort of it, it makes you feel sad when you think about Mary and Jesus gathered around the bed of Joseph as he's growing old and passing away. And it actually blows your mind to think that one day, you know, assuming that Joseph will be in heaven, that one day he'll be in heaven and have no idea of all the things his son ended up doing as part of his as Jesus' ministry. Yeah. My son did what? <laughs> my son got crucified? My son saved the world? My what? carpenter? Yeah, no, my, my carpenter, carpenter boy? Yeah. It's been mind-blowing. Wow. That We've come that part of the show where we are going to give some free stuff away. Grab your phone. Be the first person to call through. The number is 1-800-FAITH-FM. What are we giving away today, Well, Mon was going to give away Worship at Satan's Throne, but I thought, no, we're going to give that away tomorrow. Do you know why we're going to give that away why? tomorrow? Because we are doing a Bible study about Satan's Throne tomorrow Ooh. from Revelation chapter 2, where it talks about Satan's seat. Okay, so stay tuned for so tomorrow's that's, that's, giveaway. That just fits tomorrow so well. We have to keep that one for tomorrow. So t- but today we're going to give away um, Tortured for Christ movie. And so we haven't done a movie for a little while. Um, and, of course, we've talked about this many times before, but this is a sensational movie. Everybody needs to watch this movie. Uh, you need to have a copy of it. Uh, Tortured for Christ, the, st- the story of Richard Wormbrandt. And what makes this you know particularly poignant and real is that it is actually filmed on location in Romania in the prison cell where he was imprisoned for 14 years. Yeah. And when you see that cell, you are going to realize that, no, this was this was not the kind of prison cell that you might have here in Australia. You know, if you, if you, if you go to a Supermax or something like that, this was horrific. Yeah. It was terrible. You know, and you see some of these scenes, which are true scenes, where he is beaten every single day because he prayed. It's every time he prayed, you got beaten. He he prayed every day, so he got beaten every day. And and they got sick of beating him. They were they were tired. They were worn out from beating him. They're like, what What are you praying for? What is there left to pray for? This is I'm praying for you. It's mind blowing. It's so powerful. It's so impacting. If you'd like, you a need copy, to watch this movie. If you'd like a copy of this DVD, give us a call now. Like we just said, first person through will get a copy. One eight hundred Faith FM. That's one eight hundred three two four eight four three. If you'd like to have a Bible study. There's many different ways that we can provide that as well, isn't there? Absolutely. Discovery Center, they have all kinds of Bible studies and we can uh, connect you with uh, their courses that they have there. Um, Those are all, of course, certificate courses where you get a certificate at the end of it. Um, So give us a call here, 1-800-324-843. You can even do my course, which is called Prophetic Code. Get a certificate for that one as well. But right now, stay tuned. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we'll see you tomorrow morning after the 7 o'clock news. Have a good one. I like that you've got the wool over your eyes Cause it suits me fine To know that you don't even realize I like the way that you don't question anything And I love the way that you go along with everything 
you don't even know And I've got you under my control And you, you don't even know And you don't even know Just don't think about it Live life to the full It doesn't really matter What's really real Keep that bell real close Oh, don't peek through It doesn't really matter What's really true And it suits me just fine It suits me just fine Cause you're trapped in your habits And you don't Bottom of 
Ooh. 